1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and this confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. I love verses like this. And when I was a new believer and discovered that God actually will bless a jerk like me, I began to pray big. Hey, God's willing to bless me and I want to be blessed, so let's go big. The problem was neglecting the whole counsel of God, meaning putting all the pieces together to see a more clear picture. And the result was I didn't see my prayers being answered. So naturally, I thought that either God doesn't love me or this verse was wrong, and that began a journey of both discovery and victory in my prayer life where I now understand some things about prayer that I was oblivious to back then. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he provided a model or a framework of prayer that started out acknowledging God as holy, then acknowledging God's kingdom that is yet future, where Jesus will rule on this earth, and then Jesus taught to seek God's will. All three of these things put God as the priority in our prayers. Then Jesus teaches us to ask for only what we need, our daily bread, along with asking for forgiveness and teaching us to forgive others. Then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And check out episodes 33 and 34 for more on this. So I found this framework to be very helpful when I'm praying, putting the Lord and his will first, then my needs next, and avoiding the temptations and evil that come along with our own pursuits in life. So when I now ask for things, I know I need to be asking for things according to God's will. He's God, and I have seen him do things that I thought were impossible. But in my pursuit of a closer relationship with Jesus, I also learned something. God says no. And it seems to me at times that he says no more than he says yes. And I also learned that God says wait. So with this new formula for prayer and my understanding that God's will is key, Now, when a prayer goes unanswered, I understand that it's not that God has not answered the prayer, because I know he hears me, like we read earlier in 1 John 5, 14, where it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. The issue is God's will, not his refusal to hear or answer my prayer. And this has helped me in my prayer life, both praying and and being cool with the answer. And now I end my prayers with seeking God's will to be done in whatever issue I'm praying for. So nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, like Jesus said in the garden before he was arrested. And that's huge. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Well, this works really good for things which really don't affect me that much. But what happens when God says no to something big and I have to make a major decision in my life? Or something bad has occurred where I desperately want to see God straighten it out, but he doesn't. This week, friends of mine lost their young child as cancer killed him, and he wasn't even 10 years old yet. And there has been prayer going up for these fellow believers for months, but God didn't heal him, and now he's gone. So being led into temptation over this incident is very easy. Doesn't God care? How could he let this happen? Doesn't he love us? Is God even there? Is my faith real? And that's exactly what the enemy of our souls will reinforce in our minds during this type of tragedy. So how do we make sense of something like this? We go back to Jesus, remembering what he has done in our lives for those who actually have experienced his transforming power and love. Those who haven't experienced this, now is the time to cry out to him, not against him. Because when things get real, we're going to question God. 
it always happens. Is Jesus the anointed one of God who saves those who receive him and believe upon his name? Or have I been deceived all this time? In Acts chapter 7, a man named Stephen was a faithful servant of God. And what did that get him? In verse 58, it says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's the future Apostle Paul. As they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen's faithfulness and love for Jesus got him killed. But one interesting thing in the story is what happened just prior to these verses in verse 56, where Stephen says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen could see Jesus, but the others couldn't. This should tell us something about the supernatural relationship between God and his children. When God wants to, he can reveal himself in us in ways that are supernatural, like in Stephen's case. So for the child of God, death or other tragedy should always be filtered through this reality that there's a real God on the other side of life awaiting our arrival. The other thing that we should remember is that God's plan is eternal, not simply limited to what happens in the here and now. Looking at eternity, he sees things we don't. So as he allows things to happen on this earth, they all have a final result in eternity. So things done in my family a hundred years ago have led to this place in my journey. And what I do now will have an impact on this world a hundred years in the future. The problem is I don't know what kind of impact it's going to be. I have a hard time believing that the impact will be all good. And years ago, as I listened to someone, and I can't recall who it was, they gave an example and they told a story about a person who did something really bad, but that act unexpectedly created something good. So everything was good, but then the good led to something really bad. So now we're back to it being bad. But again, the bad thing caused something really good to happen. And the lesson was that both good and bad things produce consequences out of our control. And it became evident that the spiritual application was no different. The evil that I was involved in grabbed onto me and scared me to the point where I ran to a church as an unbeliever seeking a solution for this darkness. And it turned out for good. So understanding that we can't control the future, and just because we've done something good or bad and received consequences doesn't mean that that thing will not have an opposite impact in time. And it drives home the point that we must take things seriously and be led by the Holy Spirit. So, when the impact appears to be negative, we can rest in the fact that we acted in obedience, so the consequences were a part of God's will. Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So then pursuing God's will and not our own becomes our focus. And this is where we need to land every morning when we get up. What is the will of God for me today? And by spending time in the Word, in prayer, and if possible, fellowship daily, we can discern the will of God more clearly. This morning, I was going to an early morning men's study that forces me out of bed way sooner than I want to, but it's a good group, and the Lord moves during this time. And on the way, I'm hashing out an issue in my mind involving another believer. It's not a major deal, but one where I felt biblical direction is needed and I don't really want to go that route. So I get to the men's study and lo and behold, the group leader does a stellar lesson on conflict that answered my question for direction. And this is one of many examples of what God can do through others if we are willing to drag ourselves out of bed and spend time with other believers. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I find this is a lot easier when we actually have a close group of believers who we can trust. 
And notice James says that you may be healed. Now, healing is more than physical. There is emotional healing as well as spiritual healing. We can become emotionally sick when circumstances overwhelm us and overcome our emotions. This is what the term lovesick is all about. I have seen people in love, and yes, I have experienced this, where my emotions were so inundated with thoughts of love rather than reality that I became negatively affected by my emotions. I have also experienced a spiritual sickness where evil was invading my soul that I talked about earlier. My spirit, which I didn't even understand I had at the time, was negatively affected by the supernatural influences of evil that I had invited in. So to overcome these things, we do what James said. And alongside of that, we remember that God's will may be something totally different than our own desires, which may seem reasonable at the time. That's why I encourage everyone who is sick to look at James 5, to call the elders together and pray over that person, anointing them with oil. Why? Because I've seen God heal people of major medical issues in an instant. And these people came up and asked for healing. They weren't coerced by a friend. They asked and believed, and God healed them. So the answer to their prayer to God when they asked, will you heal me, was yes. And others, the answer was no. Now, does this mean that God doesn't love them as much as he loves the person that he heals? No, not at all. If the person is operating within the will of God, in other words, their relationship with God is based on their faith in him who has freely given them salvation, then no is the will of God. They understand this. And despite how much we may not like this, it's God's will. And that means there is some legitimate reason why he doesn't heal them. But I am in the mindset that you miss every home run you don't swing at. And those in the will of God, when they're very ill, and in some cases dying, look to Jesus like Stephen did and realize you're almost home where you'll never be sick again. And the answer then doesn't matter because you know what's waiting for you and that it is awesome. Thank you.